Welcome to episode 24 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. I'm your other host, Mr. Paul Robinson. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We have a guest today. We do. We do. I'm excited, actually. We are here with director Megan Griffiths. Hello, Megan. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on to the old podcast. I'm happy to be here. I think that I had seen your advertising for Sadie. I think it was on an Instagram. Mm-hmm. Because I follow like the m- many of the pages for female filmmakers. Oh, great! And Sadie had popped up, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool!" And then I saw the cast, and I was like, "Oh, awesome!" So I reached out. Yeah, what out. a cast! Wow. Yeah, I love them all. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but embarrassingly, <laughs> I must admit, you know, b- before any episode, I always kind of try to just do like a brush up on IMDb or something. Like, okay, let me just make sure this, this director, this, and that. And so about an hour ago, I realized that you had directed Lucky Them. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. And I <laughs> love that film. Yeah, we love oh, that great. film. And um, there was another yeah. movie you did. Um, is it The Off Hours? Yeah. With Amy, is it Samet Simets? Simets. Simets. And I love her because um, I had seen her in Upstream Color after that. And I knew mm-hmm. who she was because I had seen the off hours. I was like, oh, I remember this girl. Um, and so it was just, and I, I just said to Paul, I was like, this is the director of Lucky Them. Yeah. Which I, it, it was just like, you know, we'd seen the film, but the the title just didn't click. I'd yeah. always known the movie, like, oh, the movie with Tony Collette and and yep. uh, Thomas Hayden Church and and Johnny Depp and everything. And I was Shh, like, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Like, it's that director. Point. And he's like, oh, that crap. <laughs> it was funny with that movie because nobody ever wanted to talk about the appearance of Johnny Depp because it is oh, such a right. pleasant it's at the feeling end. to surprise Whoops. the viewer with. But then at the same time, it's like you have Johnny Depp in your movie and you can't talk about it. It right. becomes right. a little, it's like the cruel you know, irony. <laughs> talking about it in every interview. So, I, so people would know it was there. Yeah. And I think actually, now that I think about it, didn't we, we watched, I think we watched like there were special features or something. Cause I remember a conversation happening about how trying to find the the perfect person for that part, mm-hmm. you know, someone that would be very very popular, but also very um, low key, low key, right? And I remember yeah. there was a discussion about maybe it was with you or or another member of the crew about how that Johnny Depp just kind of fit that mold perfectly because he was such a you know famous person, but at the same time he's very kind of in his you know you know what I mean he's not you know doing tons of talk shows and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Well, yeah, the reason I felt like it worked was that everybody in the audience has a relationship with him as an actor. Like everyone has this like decades long history, which is what the character Nicolette's character is bringing into that scene. She's got all this sort of baggage with that character, but we all sort of recognize him as someone who was around many years ago and that we had, you know, a connection with as audience members or something. I think it just like, and you know, also the fact that he's just like a giant celebrity, like he looks up in a movie with, you know, that's an independent film and everyone's like, Oh, yeah. Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember we didn't tell anyone he was in it. Um, before the premiere, he came up to Seattle and shot for a day and it flew very under the radar. And, um, and then at Toronto where the film premiered, um, I got this butterflies in my stomach right before that scene. Cause I was like, Oh, nobody knows who it is or yeah. it's going to, that care if that character is even alive or whatever, and then there was like a gasp in the audience <laughs> yeah. when he showed up. So it was really it was very effective. But at this point, I now the, the cat's out of the bag, so yeah. I don't mind. Yeah. All right, I don't feel too bad. Though. Yeah, that was our reaction. I was like, <laughs> whoa, yeah, we were like, oh, it's Johnny Top. Holy yeah. crap! But I think like it was more of like, was there going to be anyone? You know, because right. that was the whole right. question through yeah. the film was was that was anyone going to be there? I just really enjoy that film. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I love it too. I'm so glad that you had, you know, had it, knew about it and, and connected yeah. it. With me. I'm, I'm just like, I don't always get titles, you know, but mm-hmm. that it's like, I'll see a cast and I'm like, I know I've seen this and, and I right. immediately remember the movie. So it's like, I saw Tony Collette and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Oh my God. I was like, we so we like this film. I was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. So we, uh, and we've actually just recently saw Sadie, which was really good as well. Yeah. Um, And so that's, that's your latest film, correct? It is. It is. I just have been sort of out on the road with it over the past few months, uh, doing a small theatrical release where I've been trying to go to as many screenings as I can. I'm just about to go to, we, we've been doing sort of a concurrent academic screening run with it just um, because it's been really interesting how well the movie resonates with the younger audiences. Um, mm-hmm. I think just because of the themes around youth and violence, they just are things that young people are thinking about a lot. So we've been having really interesting conversations about the movie happening at uh, universities. And I'm about to do four more university screenings in the next uh, like 10 days. Um, and that'll be sort of the end of the, the road show where yeah. I've been going to so many places. Yeah. And there's such a nice balance in that. See, cause it, when you say that, you know, I, I haven't been a teenager and, a long time. <laughs> so, Either. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, uh, five years or something. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, I, I can see now that you've said that, how that would resonate with teenagers and a younger uh, crowd, but I felt like it resonated with adults as well. So it kind of has yeah. it's that sort of that double edge there. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it was when we were making it, we were always told when we were trying to get it made, cause it was a long process. I wrote it in 2009 and my producer Lacey Levitt and I like basically spent uh, almost a decade trying to get it made. And, um, and we would get a lot of the same comment, which was um, it's hard to get movies made that star children that are made for adults. Um, and so we were always thinking about it as this, you know, adult audience, adult audience, but it's, you know, it, it, there's topic the topic of you know what it delves into and you know which is which is basically what we're teaching young people about how to solve their problems mm-hmm. culturally you know like how we're how we're sort of uh, modeling this behavior of using violence to solve problems and that's being absorbed by kids I, that's something that I think is m- more relevant to younger audiences than I gave it credit for because mm-hmm. I that refrain so often from people who were turning us down <laughs> that yeah. they were saying like, you know, it's not for kids, but it stars a 14 year old, you're a 13 year old. And, um, and so anyway, it was kind of the, we, we had a sort of, we did this test screening, um, when we premiered the, well, we premiered the film at South by Southwest and then we screened it at the, in Seattle at the Seattle international film festival. And they have an educational outreach that they do. And they, they take the filmmakers to high schools. And I said, Hey, would you screen? Would you see if one of the high schools would want to screen Sadie? Cause I would love to have a conversation with teenagers about it. And so that was the first uh, school screening that we did. And it was for like sophomores, juniors and seniors. And it was at like seven 30 in the morning. Oh. <laughs> there was like 120 kids and there was such a vibrant conversation after it. And it really sort of perked our, piqued our interest. You know, we were just really interested in the fact that, the kids got like got so many of the themes. The person who was running the Q and A after that screening um, opened it up to comments from the from the kids in the room before I said anything, and they just talked all about all the things I I hope people get out of it. Mm-hmm. They really just picked everything up. So I was like, okay, we're going to do more of these, and we haven't done a ton of high school ones, but we've we've hit a lot of colleges, and it's been similar experience. Yeah. Right. And I, you know what I, what I liked most about it is that it didn't, with so many films like that, when you have a young actor, which first of all, I didn't think the, is the, the actual actress that young? She was, uh, she had just turned 14 when we shot. I thought she was a little older. (laughs) She carried herself. Yeah. She carried herself as being older. Yeah. She's Um, great. Yeah. Like I, I, I think that a lot of times what, when, when you have a young actor like that, they'll kind of focus on just the sexuality of being a teen yeah. as if there's nothing else. I mean, I get that that's like a part of it, but there's so many films about that already mm-hmm. that you're like, all right, I get it. You know, sexuality as a teenager is, is, is a tough thing and it's confusing and everything, but this just kind of went in another direction that you don't normally see, which is what I really liked about it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, that, that there's definitely like, she's definitely at the age where sexuality is part of the right overall conversation. Cause you know, if you're, you know, girl going through puberty or boy, boy going through puberty, like that's part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, and her sort of observing other people 
and trying to figure out how adults relate to each other, like how men and women, uh, like when she watches other people sort of flirting and mm-hmm. she, and she's trying to figure out like how to do it just from a very clinical right. point of view, <laughs> right. who the character is, um, so that's part of it, but then you know th- there's other things on top of that. But yeah, I definitely can't ignore the the sexuality thing when you're dealing with that age range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it, it was there, but I felt like it didn't. Um, it just didn't. Over, it didn't take the story over. Good. You know, yeah. it was like there, and you're like, okay, yes, that's a part of it. But because then a lot of times it just becomes about the sexuality of it, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought that that you did a really really nice job with that. And 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 you also wrote this film as well i did yeah i i I wrote it over the course of probably three years from like 2009 to 2012 Mm -hmm. and uh and then spent a long time uh trying to get it actually to the screen after that you know it's really tricky to write for kids and i think a lot of people kind of characterize them in just some typical way and they're just people you know and they just they have the thoughts and and emotions that everybody has just in a different time in their life so when i see a lot of people talk about you know have casting kids and writing for kids writing for really anybody outside of your own age range is very difficult to do mm-hmm. and i just completely 100% believed everything she said oh that's great you know based on the writing and the the acting obviously i mean kids especially that age have such complex emotions, you know, just as complex and maybe even more than we do. And what they're going through now versus what we went through, I say we, but you know, me, <laughs> my, my age range, uh, you know, I couldn't, I, I was a 13 year old, but I couldn't write for a 13 year old because it's a completely different climate now, you know? Yeah. Well, I could write, I could write for a 13 year old, like in 1993. In 19, right, exactly. <laughs> well, I did try to, I did sort of decide to uh, ignore technology for the most part. I and noticed that. I know, yeah, I was yeah. like, where's the cell phones? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's like a, a cell phone. You see like the mom's cell phone at one point, but it's almost entirely ignored. And it's because uh, it just, you know, that that's a different movie. And there's lots, there, there's in fact a fantastic movie that was made this year that really talks about the technology aspect, which is eighth grade, eighth right. grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movie's wonderful, but doing something fully different than what I was going for. And so I, I really did try to ignore it um, because um, it's very specific what kids are going through right in this moment. And I and um, and this was something that it was talking about something that I feel like is a little bit more um, tethered, a little less tethered to this moment in time, which mm-hmm. is the fact that young people are sponges and they're taking their learning lessons from adults all the time. Um, and, and, you know, and, and in this case, you know, this young girl is, is watching these adults in her life and, and seeing her dad who's in the military and sort of exemplifying this, this model of problem solving that involves violence. And, um, and so that was what I wanted to talk about. And I just felt like I'm just going to push the technology out of it for, for this conversation, because I feel like it, it was relevant when I wrote it in 2009, when technology was much different <laughs> and then it yeah. changed, uh relevance. But in terms of like writing for young person, I did try I mean, I, I, I always assume, thought about Sadie as a very intelligent person. The, the one thing I would will say that in terms of the age range, I, I think there's the, there's a black and white thinking to young to, to the way young people kind of approach things that where it's, it's a little less nuanced than you sort of get as you get older and see all these different things in your life. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing Sadie has. It's like, she's very, very smart. She always thinks she's the smartest person in every room, but she has this like, this is right. This is wrong. Black, white think that she doesn't like delve into nuance very often. Mm-hmm. That was the thing about writing that character that was different from writing the other characters in the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a scene that I was like, that's such a teenager thing when um, Cyrus is coming over for pizza mm-hmm. and Sadie oh, yeah. knows. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. as soon as that scene, I was like, I already know what she's going to do because that's such a teenager thing to do. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of chuckled at that because I was like, oh, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so that, I really liked it. I, I, I thought it was I thought it was really good. Yep. Agreed. And, and, you that- know, and, and back to your your technology point, I think 
you know, the the movie becomes more timeless that way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you're not like, you're not yeah. dating it in any specific. Oh well, he has an iPhone eight, so that must be in two thousand. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's just the story. You can focus on the story. None of the distractions of technology are there, which are which are really great. Yeah, it's funny. I had a conversation in another Q and A about um, uh, the fact that it was written in two thousand nine and how different the world is right now, given like sort of the political, uh, you know situation mm-hmm. and um and it, it made me think just you know somebody asking that question that how how little the the issue that I'm trying to talk about has changed in that time like right. certainly plenty of changes like couldn't it could a whole other podcast about like all the changes since 2009 politically yeah. <laughs> but like it was it was just thinking about, I was like, oh yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like in 2009 when we were sort of under different leadership, there were, there was less acts of violence and there was less, uh, you know, right. violence in media mm-hmm. and there was less war and, and, you know, hawkishness and stuff like that. That's all still always been yeah. there. So, and it, so it, I do like the idea of it, of it being able to be picked up and put down in any era. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was a little bit of a cheat because it's not like any person in this world can avoid technology anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, because even like uh, when she plays a video game, you don't actually see it. Right. Which we thought about creating something, but as we were editing, we we're like, we don't really need to know. The sound kind of does it. And well, it's yeah. also just like everyone's played enough video games that it's um, that they're going to have something in their minds, you know, or like, you know, we've seen enough people playing video games, even if you don't play. And so, I was, and if we'd tried to create something, it wouldn't have looked right. And if we'd had to license something, we wouldn't be able to afford it. Yeah. So it was just like, let's just like let the sound do the work here. Yep. Now, do you, this, is this the first thing that you've written and directed? Uh, no, the off hours I wrote and directed also. And, um, and then Night Stalker, which is the film I made before Sadie, um, which is Lee a Diamond Phillips, right? Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. That one I wrote also, uh, Eden and Lucky Them, uh, were existed before I came into the picture and mm-hmm. I did some work on the script, but I didn't originate the scripts for those. Is there, what's, what's that like for you? Cause I, 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 I really enjoy well, I beat you to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because as a director, I, I'm constantly coming into yeah. work that's been established already. Yeah. And trying to, like, be truthful to the source material, but at the same time, let your voice be heard through it. So it's a very yeah. delicate I always of say that I'm very spoiled as a writer because I actually have a say yeah. in what we make. You well, know, yeah, I mean, most a, of the times it's like, give me the story. Get out of here. Yeah. You know? I mean, as a quote unquote director... You know, as little you, experience of my house. You are a director. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, but it's like you know, it's it's. Well, why wouldn't you want the writer there? I don't understand. You know, like well, a lot of people, I feel like you guys are the. It's, it's tricky. It gets, it's tricky sometimes because it's like you know, uh, you know, I have obviously a lot of respect for writers being one, but um, the set hierarchy is so specific, and it can get a little confusing for actors when they, you know, to turn to, mm-hmm. you know different people to answer questions that they have mm-hmm. about character. Um, so I, I, you know, I understand that. I mean, it depends on like, I think having a writer on set who respects that hierarchy and, and sort of directs people back to, cause you really want people to be going to one source yes. and, you know, getting, um, getting it super muddled. Um, but I mean, I've worked in television a lot recently too. And, and the writer is at the top of the food chain in that situation. So it's, uh, you know, they, you know, they can ask for different things for, on, on, you know, it's like on set, it's, you're not necessarily moving on when you're satisfied as a director, you're sort of checking in with the writer and making sure they're, they have what they wanted as well. And, um, and, and that situation can be really great. And I just had a, a really good experience working on a show in Boston where I was with the showrunner and writer and he, all of his notes and comments and, and ideas were so good that it was like this very, like it was a wonderful uh, experience to, to have both of us there. And then mm-hmm. I've had other experiences that shall remain nameless where it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not so great an experience. Yeah. <laughs> but it, right. I mean, it, it is important because um, when uh, in regards to having one kind of person on set that everybody can go to, because, mm-hmm. you know, if she, she writes, so she's, you know, we'll trust that once we get to the production stage of it, you know, most of the time she's acting in our films as well. So, 
you know, um, she'll just kind of let me, I don't know, guide the ship, I guess, because well, yeah, when you I was have say, your a lot of it is like, the conversation if before. I, right. So if we're if on I'm the directing, same page. If I'm, if I'm trying to get a performance, tweak a performance, whatever, and then you come along and say whatever, or, and then, then we're like, wait, wait, you know, we got to figure all that out ahead of time. And we yeah. usually do. So, um, it just makes it so much life. I mean, you could speak more to that. Well, as an I mean, actor, I think but, like as an actor myself, yeah. I would be kind of used to taking more direction from the director. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, as a writer as well, that's it's if you have the I guess it, it's great if you have the right writer. If you have yeah, a yeah. writer that's going to, you know, try to take over set, then that's not going to be an ideal environment. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I can imagine as a director, if you're on the same page with the writer, that would be great to be able to at least kind of have that moment beforehand as a director to say, where did you envision this? Like, right. are we on the same page? Right. And you unless know? you're a hired gun, I assume that, um, you know, you've chosen this story because it speaks to you in some way. So you're already one, you already have one foot in, in terms of being yeah. on the same page with the writer. Yeah. And then you definitely, hopefully you'd, you've had an opportunity to sort of really download and dig in with the writer. Yeah. And it's always good to be able to, because, you know, if you don't write the script yourself, there are, choices that have been made about like a character's backstory or whatever that you might not have the same answer to as the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you could always create an answer to all those questions as a director if you don't have access to a person to ask. But um, but it's, not, and as an actor too, like you can just create your own backstory based on what's on the page and whatever works for you. You know, some actors like to do that and some actors want to hear it from the writer for me or whatever, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's great to, to have the collaboration and the, I know in TV, there's a tone meeting where you just download and get all that. You're supposed to try to get all that information in this one meeting. And then, so you have it on set and, mm-hmm. and then you can check in if there's anything that comes up outside of that. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I, like you were saying, TV, the writer's kind of heading the ship in that regards, I guess, because they have the bigger overarching story to tell. And then you're coming in to help tell a portion of that story. Mm-hmm. But they kind of have to guide the whole, right. to look at the bigger picture, I guess. Exactly, because yeah. I don't always know what's coming. And right. if I just set something up I'm and that I'm not aware of, I'm not going to, you know, I wouldn't necessarily think to do that, you know. Right. So, it, yeah, it's very important to have the full picture in your head. Do you, do you have a preference or is there something that you enjoy more? In terms I mean, of television and film, yeah, I, 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 I think I'm sort of a little bit more naturally disposed to features, only because I really like being there from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, I like being the person who knows all the answers to those questions and where it's going and where it's coming from, and um, and and I like kind of knowing, you know, being part of the building of the crew and the cast and, and creating the whole set culture. Um, and then, you know, just like, I think it just kind of suits my, my personality a little bit better. TV is a little more jarring because you're dropped into something that's already going. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you just kind of have to hit the ground running and, and it, you know, I've, I've likened it to being sort of helicoptered into the middle of a battle and like, (laughs) then like you hit the ground and you're in charge, you know, and you, like start telling people where to go and and um and it's it's a little bit like uh it was a bit of an adjustment for me when I started doing it I'm, it's getting less stressful <laughs> with every production that I do for TV but like it is like a it, it's a kind of a weird approach to things it's not my typical approach you know of just being there from from first the first day to the last day so um, you you directed a couple episodes of um, HBO's Room 104, right? Season one, I believe. I did, and yeah, that one was yeah. sort of a I good transition show. for me because it was that that show is is uh, an anthology series um, episode to episode. So it's yeah, like we, you, yeah, we've watched them can, all. Yeah, they're great, and you can go in and you're casting your episode, and it's a different style, like in terms of cinematography and lighting and everything from the previous one. And so you really do have a lot more, uh, um, I don't know if I'd say control, but just like you can put a little bit more of your stamp on it Mm -hmm. um, and make it about that specific story. And it's sort of like directing a pilot every episode. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so that was a nice way to transition into TV because I wasn't necessarily going into the middle of like the third season of something and having like, adjust so which i started doing after that but but yeah because that my episode 
my two episodes of, of the first season of Room 104 were the first two episodes of television I'd ever done. So, oh wow, oh, okay. Yeah, they they just, you know, it was nice to be able to go right from zero to HBO. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> not to mention nice uh, to... two women beating the crap out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was really fun. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, it was it was great. But like it was also amongst a lot of uh, friends. You know, I, I've known the mm-hmm. new plus brothers for a long time. And mm-hmm. like. Um, I know I, some of their their core team members I'd known, so it was a comfortable way to sort of enter a new, a whole new world. Sure, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's really great. Um, what, what was like the process for um, casting for Sadie? Yeah, because uh, I, I'm just in love with the cast. I am in love with them too, mm-hmm. and I I have been for so long, especially uh, Melanie Linsky, who yeah, she's uh, great. I love her. Yeah. Love her. I mean, I I remember I saw Heavenly Creatures, the Peter yes. Jackson <laughs> in the theater when I was young, and like I was just so blown away by it. I just revisited it this year, and it's, it holds up really well. You know, I recommend checking it out. It actually serves as an interesting companion piece to Sadie because yeah. she's mm-hmm. sort of this, yeah. she's sort of the troubled child in that movie. And that it's hard to problem. believe because I mean, I, I saw that movie when I was like in high school. It was like on VHS, you know, and yeah. I saw it. Uh-huh. Um, and it's it's so crazy that she's continued, you know, her career has continued, that she survived it, mm-hmm. you know, from yeah, being just a young Castle actor. Rock, right? She was just... She did uh-huh. Castle Rock. Yeah. yeah, she's done, so, I mean, she's done so much and she, you know, she was in Togetherness, which we loved, which oh, was a Duplass Brothers yeah. show. Um, yeah. So, you know, as soon as we saw like Melanie Linsky and then we saw Tony Hale, we're like, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she was someone, Mark Duplass was, was the, the person who made the introduction to Melanie and she was attached to Sadie for a couple of years before we made it. Um, but she just really was, it, she really loved the script and her, the character, her character and the kids characters. She was just, she was just kind of in um, and ready to kind of, be around, be, be there for it when we were ready. And so it was a matter of aligning all the rest of the stars and, uh, and then my, you know, getting schedules to work out, but, um, and getting money and all that other boring stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, but so she, then we, we had a casting director named Amy Renee, who, who was amazing at sort of helping dictate, you know, not dictate, but, um, provide all these ideas for wonderful other actors. And she's worked with me on, she worked on Lucky Them and she worked on Night Stalker. And so she and I have a long relationship and she, you know, um, uh, she brought up uh, John Gallagher Jr. who I'd seen in Short Term 12 um, and loved. He's so good in that film. He's on Newsroom too. But um, but just like sort of trying to put those pieces together. And Melanie had worked with Tony Hale on something and brought uh, him up as uh, a Bradley option. And, um, and I loved that idea so much because he's perfect for it. But also just like who does – like I'd seen him in um, – my friend Jody Lambert made a film called Brave New Jersey where Tony's the lead and it's, it's a comedic role, but it's, it's also, he's sort of a dramatic lead mm-hmm. and it was nice to be able to see him do that yeah. for a whole feature. Cause he's so talented and, and not to say like, you know, Veep and rest of development don't show everything he could do, but cause they like, he's so brilliant on those shows, but, um, yeah. but he has a whole other side to him that doesn't get exploited enough. I don't think. And, and so it was nice to be able to have him play, you know, something that shows the compassion of, uh, that he can bring. And yeah. cause he's really the beating heart, I think of Sadie. He's the one, the adult who's sort of paying attention. Um, right. And, uh, and so, so yeah, he, he came into the picture and then Danielle Brooks from Orange is the New Black was, mm-hmm. uh, someone I just like, I've loved since that show started. And, um, and I was just watching it one day thinking, oh, she would be great Carla. And so Amy Renee reached out to her and, um, and she, she's jumped on board really quickly. All of the casting aside from Melanie happened, um, within about two months of our start date. Oh, wow. Um, because we were just like once I didn't cast Sadie until the very last minute because I had been trying to get the movie made for so long mm-hmm. that I was worried about casting anybody um, who was going to uh, age out of it. Um, and True. so right. okay, yeah. Danielle, we, we reached out to Keith Williams, who plays her son, 
uh, Francis in the movie was someone that we had auditioned for another movie two years earlier that Amy Renee was also casting. And so she kind of tracked him down and got him to read for Francis. And he was, uh, he's just like the most adorable, wonderful child. Um, and then, and then, yeah, Sophia who plays Sadie is a Seattle actress. And I just never thought I would find someone who could carry the movie in my backyard, so to speak, you know, like, cause I live in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were making the film appear and we had got been getting, you know, tapes and, and people reading all over the country from various other countries. Like people were sending stuff in and, and then Sophia was in a film called um, Lane 1974 that was shot the year before Sadie and, I had seen that and, uh, you know, I, I know the director, so I'd seen a rough cut and I was just like, wow, this young actress is so special. Like she really has so much presence on screen. There's so much going on behind her eyes. She's just really, she's, as she's very like, she's sort of mature beyond her years. Um, and, and so, and they had a wonderful experience working with her. So we asked her to put herself on tape. I, even though she was in the same city as I was, I didn't have her come in in person because I didn't want to put her on a sort of a different playing field than everyone else. So mm-hmm. she just put herself on tape like everybody else, but she just blew everyone else out of the water. And she uh, was so talented and came to set and just was like working with any of the adults. Like she was such a, uh, Melanie said she was like working with a peer. Like it was, it, there wasn't like a kid thing with mm-hmm. her. She's that she was just really good. Yeah. It's really, uh, she's really powerful in that. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you kind of always can kind of tell what's going on and, and, you know, I just believed every second of her. You never think of the age out either at that time. You, yeah. you know, I didn't think of that until you said it, but especially at that age, it's like they look different from one month to the next. So yeah. yeah. Well, have we, to had, wait. we had lists of people for Sadie over the years. And, you know, by the time we actually made it, some of the early people on our list were like, you know, voting and driving and like <laughs> drinking and, you know, they just like all aged up. To, you know, it was, it was a, uh, so we just kind of stopped. I mean, I always had a running list of people, especially like after a while I started like, okay, there's a 10 year old actress who looks promising and mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. let's, let's put her on the list and maybe by the time we make Sadie, she'll be right. the right age. Right. Yeah. Scouting five-year-olds and stuff. <laughs> for <Yeah>. future projects. <laughs> now it's kind of a, it's kind of a cliche uh, question, but how did you get into film? Um, um, the question. The question. The question. Well, it's interesting because I, I always feel like it was a long sort of slide um, or climb. I don't know which one. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it was I, – I always was – I loved movies as in high school. And, like, I would have, like, a lot of, like, movie parties and things like that. And uh, I remember watching The Graduate in high school with a group of friends and noticing – the transitions that are built into that movie that the sort of, you know, the way they, you know, they'll frame something and then cut to something similarly framed. It's very, it's very in your face in Mm -hmm. that movie. And it's just the first time I really thought about the fact that someone was making those kind of choices Mm -hmm. and that that was a job. And so that was sort of the, the first inkling I'd had about it. And then when I went to college, uh, there wasn't a film production program where I went to school. So I, I sort of, I found myself circling it, like kind of taking all the classes around production, like film history and photography and video production where I'd make like, you know, news spots and commercials and stuff. Um, And then I was like really finding that I was drawn to it. Meanwhile, I worked in a video store my entire college career. So that was that too. But, um, but I, I started applying to graduate schools in film and I, and I, I went. It, I ended up going to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, which is the town I was born in, but I hadn't lived in for years at that point. So that was kind of fun to go back to my hometown uh, and do this three-year program. And then I moved to Seattle of all places, which was just kind of a whim because I love Seattle and I wanted to see if I could make it work. Make it work. Um, and I fell in with a group of filmmakers up here who uh, really were sort of felt like my tribe. You know, like they mm-hmm. they same sort of passion and excitement about it. And, um, and we just kind of grew up together, making stuff, making small movies. I, I worked, um, as a DP originally out of film school. Um, and then I spent five years working as an assistant director, um, on, and, and just kind of all in the independent film feature film world. That was my, my world. And, um, 
and I had the script for the off hours kind of kicking around for a long time over the, while I was working on all these other capacities on other people's movies. Um, and finally in 2010, I, um, I had all these people just be like, you know what, just make it, <laughs> you know, we'll work on it. <laughs> I had a lot of crew who were friends at that point, and they were just like, you've been talking about this movie a really long time. We want to see you make it. Um, we had all just worked on a, a long, big feature that kind of paid people for five months. And so they were like, let's just make it right now, and we'll work on it for free. And, and so we made this tiny, you know, we didn't have any money. We just kind of made it. Uh, we scrapped it together, and then it got into Sundance. And um and that changed a lot of things uh, that allowed, you know, that kind of brought Eden to my doorstep. And then that project was, you know, was the thing that, uh, that I got an agent and a manager from. And then, you know, and then I had Lucky Them, which was sort of a bigger cast. And, um, and it just sort of, it sort of was very, you know, step-by-step climbing a ladder that le- that's leading somewhere. Um, and, yeah. and it, it just, uh, it feels like a progression, but it, it's not like I, there was never like a catapult moment, uh, for me in, at any stage. It was, it's always, I mean, if, if, I mean, the biggest one would probably be getting a descendants with the off hours. Um, but I didn't have that sort of dream experience, like where there was like a bidding war and I had this giant sale. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it still made a huge difference in my career in terms of having that next to my name and having it, you know, screening at that festival on that level, mm-hmm. it just shifted things where all of a sudden I was a director and I was, uh, I was getting other people approaching me about directing. I didn't have to build everything from the ground up myself, mm-hmm. which was huge because off hours took seven years to make two. And then say, you know, Sadie was the thing that I actually wrote Sadie before I finished, before I shot the off hours. Oh, wow. Cause I was like, I'm going to write yeah. something that takes place in like 10 locations with like very few actors. And I'm going to make this really contained story um, because I'd been trying to get the off hours made for so long at that point. And then I, and then we just, the off hours that came together and then Sadie took me eight years (laughs) to get made. So (laughs) all these ones that you have to, it's such a hard thing to build a movie from the ground up every time. So I was, I'm grateful for like having opportunities come to me after that Sundance experience that it made a big difference. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So now you, you had said before that you're, you're based out of Seattle. I am. That's what you always, you always expect to hear like LA. Right. Yeah. So okay. you can do it. Yeah. You don't <laughs> it have to can be in LA. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I, I always wonder what would, you know, what would have been different. I mean, you never know, mm-hmm. you know, we can't, can't do the sliding doors thing where we have the two different experiences and, and, uh, and know how each plays out. I, I, people ask me if I feel like, you know, if living in Seattle has, has slowed it down or has, has stopped me from getting opportunities and, and, you know, who knows, but it, it probably slowed it down a little bit, but I also don't know if I would have made as many features if I didn't live in this community that supported me so yep. much that way. Yeah. Um, and slowed it, I, slowed it down. It, it, it's subjective, right? It's by by right. whose standards? Yeah, like, yeah you, you could have gotten a ton of work in LA that you hated, but it paid the bills. Yeah, I'm making great money, but this is crap. Yeah. You know? And I don't yeah. like it yeah. versus sure. being able to do what you love. You know, I mean, look, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to stub my nose at a great check if somebody's like, hey, we want you to be in this big, you know, A-list Hollywood film. We'll pay you a crap ton of money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I will. What, you send me the sides. Let's do it. But, you know, we we make our films because I still want to be able to tell my stories. That's really important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've right. never I've never understood those actors that start out as filmmakers and then they kind of they make it big and they sort of forget that. You know, yeah. and then they, they you know, it's like, well, what happened to your films? Because that that's that's our, our goal. Right. Is to be able to be able to um, have enough recognition in Hollywood, so to speak, or even in the indie world, and to be able to fund our own films. Yeah, you know, I don't need to live in a you know a, a twelve bedroom house as long as our mortgage is paid every month. Yeah, <laughs> and my car works. I just want to be able to make stuff. And, yeah. and be in, in yeah. cool films. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's always always the, that's the dream, right? For us, the dream isn't to. Yeah, but it's not for everybody. You know, when you talk, you talk crap, to you a lot of people. Be able to survive doing what you love. That's a lot of like you know people that are coming into film, especially younger, like right away, they well, think of, for the right reason. <laughs> right away, they think of it as like fame. Right. You know, and everyone always says the same thing, thing to me when, you know, if they watch my stuff, they're like, one day I'm going to see you on the red carpet. I'm like, I'm not going to make it to the red carpet. I 
I'm well aware of that. That's yeah, okay. carpets at all sorts of events. Yeah, yeah right. that's. Uh, but you know, everyone thinks <laughs> of it of carpet. like <laughs> we have a, a greenish carpet that yeah. we got to clean. Uh, you know, everyone always thinks of success as like, well, you're at the Oscars, and that's right. and that's the only way to succeed. And you know, there's wonderful stuff at the Oscars, but there's so much in between. There's just yeah. a whole world. Yeah. That, it's interesting because like what I was saying about my Sundance experience with the off hours, it's like by a lot of standards that wouldn't have been counted as a success because it didn't make money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but it also, it, but it did like have an impact on my career. It had an impact sure, on Simon's yeah. career. Like it, it had people who worked on it, like the DP got nominated for an independent spirit award. And it was like, all of us got like little, imp, imp, like rickish, like real ricochet mm-hmm. effects on all of our, and it, and it, you know, everybody who worked on it is still working in film and doing all these great things. Like it's, it's kind of fun to go back and think about us all being on that set with mm-hmm. like you know, me helping Amy do her makeup. And like, you know, it was just like this tiny little thing. And now it's like, she's off doing amazing things. And Scoot McNary, who was in it is like in Godless and Narcos and all these great, you know, shows and movies and, and Ross Partridge is, who's in it is making his own films and television. He's a exec, one of the executive producers on room 104 and like all these like people who were part of that are, are just like continuous continuing to do all these great things. And, and I like to think that, you know, even though it wasn't like a runaway hit at Sundance that off hours had, had played a part in everything, you know, it was just, it was a good group of people coming together and it's a different kind of success than, yeah. um, and it can be seen on like just a spreadsheet. Yeah, and the right. support is great because so often in, in this industry, there's like this competition thing. You know, there's mm. everybody thinks that if they, I don't know, if they help you, you're going to become better than them, and then whatever. And then just having a supportive community in this industry is 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 amazing. Is great. You know, it's huge. Yeah, it's yeah. it's meant everything to me in my career. Like I've just been able to. Um, call out so many of the same people every time and just, you know, have this environment on set where I feel like everyone's there to make a good movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. And, you know, unfortunately, they're almost never there to make a great paycheck because I'm not <laughs> ever paying as much as they are worth. But, um, but uh, you know, at some, some point that'll all come together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the indie world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because right. it's all about the journey, right? I mean, that's the other thing about Hollywood, right, is that there's, you know, they've built up this whole, like, I've made it thing, but there's never actually some kind of, well, I, I made it to X, Y, and Z, so I'm done. I did everything. It's like just yeah. this constant perpetual learning process of yeah. just becoming better and making, trying new things and, you know, trying interesting things and, and just kind of feeding that that need to create, you know. Totally. And moving your own goalposts every yep. time, too. It's like, okay, I got that. What's next? What do I do? Right. Our Where goal post is like $1,000 to $2,000. <laughs> <laughs> no one's no one's ever more surprised than us when people actually donate to our film that we don't know. Yeah. Holy crap. I don't know. Do you know this person? I don't know this person. <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you um do you rely on crowdfunding at all? I we did crowdfunding on the off hours when it was Kickstarter was like the first year of Kickstarter, I think at that point. And we, our goal was only like $5,000 and we raised $5,000 on it. So, um, but we ended up using that cause we had all these big, uh, we had to make all of the swag that we had promised everybody. Right. So we yeah. used a lot of our Kickstarter money just to pay for it, <laughs> send out all of our prizes. Um, but it also gave our crew all their swag, which I still see on sets in Seattle now, which makes me happy every time. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, um, we didn't ever, they haven't actually relied on entirely ever on, on a Kickstarter campaign for anything. Um, because off hours we had all these small, you know, we did it as a, you know, investments and, and it was, even though it was a small budget, it was under a hundred thousand. It was still, you know, a bunch of people coming in at small levels. And, um, I mean, I think I had more investors on the off hours than I've had on any other movie. Mm. <laughs> um, and I, Smallest budget. It was just like a lot of different people doing smaller numbers. Yeah. Um, whereas on Eden and Lucky Them, I actually had no, I have completely no idea uh, mm-hmm. who invested in movies because they were um, they were being put together before I got there. Right. And I never had visibility into that, which I was very fine with. Like, <laughs> didn't, I hate raising money for movies. And so it was really great to not have that. But, um, and then when like, Sadie came around um, 
it was a single financier who stepped up and just wrote the check for the whole movie, which was a dream. Wow. So you wow. have made it. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's I dream of that happening. <laughs> After the uh, oh podcast, God. we'll have to ask you for their number. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need all of their personal information yeah. and their address. Um, I'm sure she would be thrilled. Yeah. Um, Just hand it out to everyone. Yeah. She was like a, a person who had um, been had known about the project, and at, we had talked to her at one point about um, about coming in as an investor, and then it hadn't worked out the first time, so. Uh, you know, I, when we, when we were trying to, we kind of pit, uh, saw this January where I was free and Melanie Linsky was free and we're like, we're just going to go for it and we're going to find money somehow. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it that amount. You know, we obviously have a goal in mind, but, um, we're like, we're, we have to get this movie made. It's been on our plates for so long and it just, I just really wanted to, to see it through. And, um, and we, um, we reached back out to her to see if she would help like by, you know, cause she was always so supportive, mm-hmm. uh, but I was, she's not going to come in and finance it now because she, she, we already went down that road and it just wasn't, it didn't work out. Uh, so I was like, can I have like a fundraising party at your house? And she said, no, no, I, I want to do it. I, let's just, I want to be the only financier and I want to do it. So it was like this dream uh, scenario where all of a sudden it was like, oh, great. So we are making the movie. Right. Wow. That's wow. Awesome. That's fantastic. Awesome. And so, and, and she's going to feel great to be able to do, you know, when you believe in somebody's work and you have the means to just be able to be like, yeah, do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, you know, she, she'd seen my other stuff. She understood what this movie was about. She had a 13 year old of her own, uh, at the time. And she just understood the themes of it and, and was motivated by, thankfully she was motivated by other things besides like making a really solid investment because independent film is not that no. ever. Right. Right. <laughs> no, it's right. a crapshoot. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Hopefully she'll see some money, you know, a long term that, that makes it worth her while that way too. But like, I think she's already, she's proud of the movie and that's really, it means so much to me when, you know, I hear an investor say something like that. Cause I, you know, it's hard to be able to, to, you know, to, if you've, you know, it's, it's so hard to be able to get, make every penny of their money back. Right. 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 And you, and of course, like you, you know, you appreciate anybody that invests into your film, but when it's more of like a corporate situation and a, on a bigger set, yeah. that's all it is, is it's an investment, right? I'm going to give you the money because I'm hoping to get more money. But when somebody gives you, your financial goal mm-hmm. with with the the reality that they may not make that back. Right. Well, to them, like, that's the investment, right? It's like you know, you go buy something, is that you go buy a shirt, now yeah. you got a shirt. But if you and that's and that's what you get from it, so you're you're happy with that. If you're if you're paying for a film and you want to see the film made, maybe that is worth yeah. it to you. You know. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't We're want to all take just up, dreaming about like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time because we appreciate you being on. But <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you real quick about um, your approach to the lighting for Sadie because I was really, I yeah. loved it because it looked very natural, but at the same time it was really kind of pretty. You know. Um, Thank you. Wait, you filmed this in Seattle, right? Yeah. yeah, technically Everett, Washington, which is that's a why more it's overcast, overcast constantly. Overcast is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, nice no, to film things. You know, a lot of times I feel like you know, especially in indie films, people get so obs- and I I fall and pray to this plenty of times. You just get so obsessed over the lighting that maybe it's not consistent and doesn't work. You know, and in this film, I never believed for a second that there was that the lighting wasn't believed. Like, where's this light coming from? Why is it so bright in this scene? Yeah, like, what yeah, is yeah. happening? It just looked very natural. Um, but at the same time, it was really like a pretty movie. Thank you. I, I feel that way when I watch it too. Like I, TJ Williams Jr. who shot it is someone I've known for many years. Like when I was an AD on set, he was often the first AC standing next to me. So mm-hmm. um, we had, I knew his uh, ability to just be, you know, understand a film set and, and move things along and, and do his job well. But um, he also, since at that point he had been, you know, obviously making a transition into, into operating and then into DP work and, um, and his, his ability with lighting really um, was, was such a pleasant surprise for me because he was, I, I really thought uh, he worked with our, our gaffer and our key grip, uh, Casey and Mike. So, so well to create that naturalistic environment, but also have this um, sort of texture and beauty to it that um, I'm a really aesthetic 
person. So it's like, I, I care a lot about, you know, performance and everything, but I, I want it to look appealing. Of course. Um, and so, but to feel real, like this world set in a trailer park, I just, I didn't want it to feel like overly slick and glamorized mm-hmm. or whatever. So I, I felt like they did such a great job of like nailing that along with the production design team, which really kind of created the interior environments. Cause we just walked into empty trailers and dressed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of tried to find the personality of these characters and, 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 you know, keep it feeling like where their income level was and how they might decorate and when they might have last updated their spaces and stuff like that, mm-hmm. just to be thinking about all that stuff. So, it, and, you know, those, all of it kind of comes together with costumes and everything to kind of create the, the environment. And I, I was really happy with the way it all came together on this one. Yeah. It was, yeah, really it was, nice. it was yeah. The lighting was really nice. Yeah. Really good look to it. Yeah, and and if if you may indulge me, I have to ask you one nerd question. What did you What did you guys shoot on? Uh, we shot on the um, oh my god, the Alexa. My brain just went yeah. blank. Um, yeah, it was an Alexa. We we uh, that's I've done the last four movies on that camera. I love it. Mm-hmm. Take that red. Yeah. Take that red. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious because um, I'm just kidding, but yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I always, camera's just I a tool, that. but I'm, I'm always interested yeah. in to 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 to, to see what people cho- what tool people are choosing yeah. for what specific projects. And we so, we always ask that because um, when when we submit, we started noticing as we were submitting our our films to film festivals that like everything was shot on a red. And when we were actually going to some of the the film festivals. It was amazing to me how two films were shot. And of course, you know, who knows what lenses one used over the other. I don't know. But, right. you know, this obsession that everybody had. And look, reds are beautiful. They're great cameras. I'm not, <laughs> you want to give me a red, I'll take one. But I'm just saying that, you know, there. it, it almost seems like that's all you need to get into a film. As, well, this was filmed on a red, so it's got to be great. Right. Not <laughs> necessarily, because we were watching yeah. stuff and we were like, this was filmed on a red? It looks mm-hmm. like it was filmed on, like, on a freaking... Three T, like a, you know, like on a, a like a T three I, like what, what is happening? Yeah. And then something else, you know, looked beautiful on it. And so well, that's the thing, it's like you, you know, whatever you shoot on, and whatever lenses you use, which I do think are so, uh, so important, very important component than the camera body itself. But I agree, hundred uh, percent. But yeah. are, it's like the production design and and the costume design and the lighting, all that stuff is so important. Mm-hmm. Like I, when we got nominated for an independent spirit award for cinematography on the off hours, like Ben and I both talked about how it's like, it was like a nomination for the entire, you know, aesthetic team. Like right. everybody put something in front of that camera uh, was part of that. And it's cause you know, you can have the best DP in the world, but if you're shooting in a, a boring space, you know, it's, it's like with crappy you know, lighting. Yeah. yeah. And the characters don't shine through. It's, it doesn't mean anything. So Yeah. 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 I've, I've fallen in early in my career, quote unquote career. I've fallen into you the trap of just, <laughs> I love to quote unquote, uh, just falling into the trap of you making. You just ooze confidence. I know. We're going to well, have no, to get you, the quotes off of those. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because um, you know, I've fallen into the trap early on of just lighting it pretty. I want it to look pretty and the way the light falls on the person yeah. and the, you know, the contrast ratio of their face and the shadows and how it falls and all this stuff. But there's just... You know, you you get into the costume design and the production design, which are so important. And, you know, when people just get obsessed and they're just like, I'll buy a fancy, expensive camera and that'll solve all my problems. And it's like, well, that's one component. Having a decent camera is one small component. And learning how to use that camera is really important. The bigger picture. And I think Mm -hmm. that's lately, you know, in the past couple of years, whatever really what has helped our films kind of go to the next level is not because we bought a new camera, but because we're understanding how to tell a story from beginning to end, not how to shoot a scene and make it look pretty, but how do you tell the story? Yeah. Uh, and how does the visual component help tell that story exactly. and like performances to tell? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it could, I mean, you, you can be filming on, on a hundred thousand dollar camera with $50,000 lenses, but if the performances are lacking, then what was the point? But the nerd in me still loves gear. So of course. You do. <laughs> <laughs> Got well um so b- before we wrap up um where can can everyone find your work do you have yeah. the socials and all that i do um actually well i have a website um that is the cinechick.com so t-h-e-c-i-n-e-c-h-i-c-k.com that's got um 
trailers and clips for everything I've ever made. Uh, so it's like the comprehensive one-stop shop. Um, a lot of my movies right now are on Amazon Prime. Eden and Lucky Them and Off Hours are currently all on Prime. Uh, Lucky Them's on Netflix. And then Sadie is available currently on iTunes and uh, and Amazon and Vudu. Mm -hmm. um, and in February, it will be on Amazon Prime. So nice. it's streaming. Yeah. Um, so that's most of them. <laughs> there you go. Are you, are you planning on working on anything next or are you just kind of like riding the... Well, I've the been Sadie, the Sadie train for a while. I've been busily taking Sadie out into the world and trying to deliver it yeah. um, with my own two hands as much as possible. Because we did a deal with, um, we took this uh, Festival Stars deal with Amazon um, out of South by this year, which is uh, basically they they I mean, they sort of host the film on their their platform, but they that's only for streaming mm -hmm. or for sorry for uh, subscription VOD. And okay. so we we had all these other things open to us and they encourage you to use the bonus that they provide to do your own theatrical release. So we have been doing our own sort of creative distribution on the theatrical and on our, our TVOD transactional VOD um, for like iTunes, et cetera. Um, so we've been really building out this whole campaign on our own um, and blogging about it on our film, our site, sadiefilm.com. Um, so if people are interested in like creative distribution, um, it's a really, we've been trying to be really transparent about our experience over the course of the, um, the several months that we've been running the blog um, and all the sort of ups and downs of this experience. But, but yeah, so I've been, uh, I've been out in the world sort of taking Sadie to the streets and then <laughs> um, meanwhile, also trying to do more episodic directing um, just because uh, I, I enjoy that too. And it's been um, a good way to sort of meet more creators and actors. And, um, and so I just did an episode of a show called the society that shot in Boston. It's for Netflix that will be coming out next year. Um, and I'm going to try to do a little bit more on the television side before delving into the next film project. I think just to kind of solidify my resume a little bit more in the TV world. Oh, that's smart. Nice. Smart. If, you, if you're ever in New York and you need an actress, I know one. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I would do it <laughs> just so you know, yeah. because I've seen your freaking work. And so I would totally work with you. I have no shame in saying that for free. I'm just saying. Shameless plug yeah. as a, as an actress, I'll, yeah. do, I'll totally do it. Um, um, thank you so much for coming on to the yes. podcast. We really appreciate it. We're very, we're very excited to have you on. And as you, as you continue and whatever your next project is, like yeah. we'd love to have you on again. Absolutely. Awesome. And if you're ever in New York, we'll buy you a drink. Hey. <laughs> I love it. Thank I'll you guys you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. So that was awesome. Yeah. She was so cool. Yeah. Just a cool person. I enjoyed talking with her. Um, like, a tr like she's just like a true filmmaker. Mm -hmm. She reminds me a lot of uh, Richard Raymond. Yeah. You know, in that, like, they just love making films. Enthusiastic and down mm -hmm. to earth. Yeah. As all filmmakers and directors should be. Should be. Take Good luck note, with that. Michael Bay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Did he reject us? <laughs> He would. Yeah, he would. Wouldn't be on this show. Let's be honest here. Um, so thanks for listening to that. Yeah, so go, awesome. go go to her socials and watch the films yeah, they'll be and in the do link. all that stuff, the, please. I'm sure I'll forget on the first, and then I'll put them back on. That's always how it works, right? I always forget to put people's links in there. Yeah, usually. I'll, I'll, I'll remember now that I reminded myself by assuming I'd forget. Yeah. That's how my brain works. So, uh, uh, so, we, so we have some... Not so great yeah, news, Yeah, not so great news. And what all, what might mean. that be? Well, you know, a lot of times when you make a film, you know, you have these specific goals in mind. You and sometimes those goals don't line up with the deadlines, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that you either you put on yourself or that are actually hard deadlines for specific things. So um, long story short, we shot a, a micro short one minute film for Film Riot um, that we were going to do some visual effects to, which we talked to in the last episode. But those and when you say we, you mean you, because I don't me. know how to do any yeah. of that crap. You can tell me what sucks or not. Yep. So, um, so I kind of overextended what I thought I'd be capable of doing in the timeline. Someone took a dinosaur sized bite. Yeah. With a small mouth. The mouth. And uh, so With the, the mouth film, of the an film is 100% going to be done. Yeah. Um, just not done by the by Monday. Well, or not not done if, in time for the Film yeah. Riot. Uh, and Film Riot deadline is December 3rd, 1st? 
It's like in two days. Yeah. It's in a couple, depending when you're listening to this. It's like December 1st or 2nd or something. Never going to happen. And there's no way I'll be able to finish all the the, the visual effects and for all the shots that I'll, I'll, I'll here's, in that here's time. Because here's what Paul does. He says... Oh, I can do it. I can do it. And I can usually tell and within... I can do it. Not with a day job. No. Well, not in the not in the timeline. Um, You could have done a timeline without a day job, but yeah. your day job prevents all that and the the 75 hours of rendering it's it's this computer has been running you have not shut this computer down yeah since you started all i hear is the the hum and fan blowing from this freaking computer because our house is the size of a matchbox so you can hear everything yep and after all that still not going to be done in time nope but you know what it's going to be better for it because well, we the story rushed. isn't because the story's the same either way. We rushed, we filmed this, no script. We just l- literally run and gun, yeah. guerrilla style, pun intended. Mm-hmm. And the story was like, okay, you know, uh, think of a story quick because we just want to, we just got to film this for the yeah. competition. It's one minute. Right. So we can't, you know, there's no point in investing too much in the story because we only have one minute to tell it. If I knew <laughs> that this was never going to make it to film Riot, could have made a I would bit have, more of a story. I would have, yeah, I would have liked a bit more of a backstory, and yeah. I, I would have at least written like a five-page, just something, yeah, a little bit more. So, well, such is life, right? Right. So that's but, that. You know, that's, so it will be. It's called Neptune, and it will be made. And uh, a couple I, more weeks, I think. Yeah, I'd say definitely by next year. Obviously, yeah. yeah. So, Christmas. Maybe we'll release it on Christmas or something. On Christmas Day, because that's when everybody's going to be listening to this. Because let's face it, our our your your world means nothing without us. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> our existence is all you live for, and our freaking like short Christmas treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a Christmas treat that you have two weeks after Christmas. Yeah, because <laughs> that's when you're going to watch it if you watch it. Yeah, um, uh, and but I, I think, think it's I think it'll be for for me as a uh, as a visual effects person, quote unquote, <laughs> even though I got to stop doing that, uh, I've learned a lot from it. Though, if Megan's so that's still the thing. listening. She's rolling. She's rolling her eyes so hard she could see her spine right now because yeah. you keep quote unquoting. Qu- quote unquote. You 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 practically literally do this for a living. Yeah, and you're true. still quote you're still quote an, an, a quote animator. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is what you are. That's yeah. how that's how it's we have do every day. food on the table. Uh, but you know, uh, it's now. It's kind of freeing in a way because now I can really dive in a little bit harder and 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 really kind of make cool things Whatever. that I didn't have time for. Uh, but it w- it won't have the it, it's very possible it won't have the exposure that it had being entered. It definitely into the contest, won't have you know? the exposure. But it'll be better. The t- you know I mean hey if we, if I had thought about it for five seconds before we shot and decided exactly what I wanted. Um, in terms of the visual effects and, and, and everything, well, we, we could think did, about the shots. We and did stuff. agree on something much simpler than this, but we did. you ran. And I said, well, you know what? This is like what I said. Like a son of a bitch, like warp yeah. speed in the opposite direction. Right. So what I said was, you know what? I'll have a backup plan. I'll try the, I'll go, I'm going to swing for the fences, but I'll have this backup plan just in case it doesn't mm-hmm. work. And so I never had the backup plan. No, no, you, you know? didn't. Because in my head, I was like, oh, I'll swing for the fences. It's fine. It'll happen. Because. To me, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Um, this isn't very good advertising for like potential investors at our work one day, where they're like, well, "This, this is, guy, this guy loves to swing for the fences that are way too far to hit." Yeah. Well, that, it's it's a different scenario, right? This is something that we just thought about. There's nothing on the line, you know. Well, that's why it's it's like whatever. I mean, you know, there's with sub, film. Like I, every, do, I deal with very, tight deadlines literally every day at my day job, so I know how. When to make, it's film, I'm the one who handles yeah. this, so this wouldn't happen with the film. <laughs> no, this doesn't happen on film because oh no, for our films, yeah, no. yeah I, that's no. why this is this people is why I take charge in pre-production of our films, yeah, because I have to set your goals for you. Otherwise, we'll be we'll be filming in Dubai for some reason. Yeah, you know what? I think we'll there's I hear the shot. lighting in Dubai is fantastic. Yeah. We should you know blow all of our savings right. on that. So Neptune's going to be late. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. That's the moral of the story. And uh, before we wrap up, I just want to say, boo to you for canceling Daredevil. Oh, yeah, huh? 
Well, I, I if you listen an, to the show, you know that that's the only Marvel Netflix series that I really thoroughly enjoyed. So why wouldn't it be canceled? Yeah. Thanks a lot, Disney, because we know this is all because of you. Well, allegedly, it's going to continue, just not. Yeah, on but Netflix. not on Netflix. So it's not going to have the same aesthetic. It's it's, be, exactly, it's yeah. going to get Disneyfied, and it's going to be for children. And shut up, I don't want to see that. It'll recast it or something. <sighs> How can you? Charlie He's, Cox is Daredevil. That's Daredevil. Is the man. This is upsetting. I'll get over it. Yeah. Get over it. Um, and so, anything else we've been watching or anything? I don't think we've watched anything new, we right? We watched Sadie. Well, Sadie, yeah, which was great. Haven't watched any shows, yeah. though. It's been a week. Yeah. One week. It's been a week of not watching anything because somebody was it's trying been, to meet a deadline yeah. and then realized, like, two days ago that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, so all right. So time. next weekend is our 25th episode. Yeah. Oh, is that the big one? Well, I mean, it's 25. Yeah. 25, 50, 75, 100. You know what I mean? Those are like. Oh, 20. So it's a quarter. Yeah. A quarter of 100. It's Very almost, good. It's almost, it's almost, <laughs> it's almost half a year. Well, we started in June. Yeah. So it, it is. Pretty much half a year. Just a little, time has been flying short. by so fast. It yeah. doesn't even feel like that long. So we're going to have the Steady Geekin' guys on next week. If there isn't like a blizzard or something yeah, ridiculous seriously. here. And um, someone will still be mowing their goddamn lawn. <laughs> there is a blizzard, I swear. <laughs> um, so this is this is like Seinfeld mentioning Superman. Like, like every episode we mentioned lawnmowers. Yeah. That nobody else hears but us. Right. It's gonna... crazy purple lawnmower people. <laughs> 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 That's a joke only our... Uh, our Skype people understand. Yeah. Um, but so thank you for joining us. Shout outs. Shout outs to Steady Geekin. Shout outs to Reality Bomb Comic Cast. Shout outs to Mega Brain uh, Comics. Mega Brain Comics. I think John in, is running like specials and stuff for holidays yeah. and stuff. So if you're in the area, go swing by. Go get some Tell comic- him that we sent you. Comics. And see what, see if he says anything. He won't give you anything he'll special. Kick you out of the store. Tell him, hey, go Gorilla sent us. And then and he'll like, say, get the hell out of here. <laughs> keep talking about me uh shout out to perry of course just just because because he just gets perry. an obligatory shout out yeah he saw he went and saw um mary poppins, mary poppins. so he saw your girlfriend so we'll see how we'll see what he thought about it because he's going to visit us yeah but he won't be talking about it on the show no he won't but he's going to visit us he loved personally. it already he already said that he loves it yeah it was practically perfect in every way <laughs> <laughs> okay that's enough we'll see about time that. to go all right, guys. We'll see you we'll next see week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. We couldn't decide on a song. We loved We couldn't decide on a song. We loved We couldn't decide on a song. So we came up with this one.